tall, like I'm on my tiptoes, baby. You think a little too small. I got big goals, baby. Hey, where the money? I look, I just need the info. Pronto, I go and get it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the Blazers Edge podcast. I am your host, Danny Morang. And well, it's a playoff preview edition facing the hated. Hated Nuggets? I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard. Two to... years, hey, two years ago, man, I was on the timeline. I saw all you guys. You definitely hated Denver. Jokic, Jokic is the dirtiest player on earth. And oh my God, did you see what he did to Cantor's uh, oh. shoulder? So dirty. So disappointed in Jokic and his dirty antics. <laughs> that, ladies and gentlemen, is the lovely dulcet tones of Adam Ares, uh, one of the founders at DNVR. Uh, go ahead and head over to them. Uh, to check out their content i mean it's it, everything that they're doing over there is absolutely awesome well as awesome as it can be as it relates to denver nuggets uh adam thanks for hopping on man uh for those that don't know adam i go back a, a ways um first met up when really both our teams in portland and denver were kind of at a weird place in, in 2015 2016 uh at summer league and i think those are kind of like the building blocks from where these franchises have gone I'd say in the long run, Denver's probably made some better decisions <laughs> since that time period. But unfortunately for you guys, it hasn't been able to come to fruition. And you guys have, for the most part, been healthy through that run. But now we head into this matchup. I think this is kind of like at least my early takeaway is can Denver or should Denver be favored in this series without Jamal Murray? Yeah, man, it's a tough one. Um the Nuggets are weird. I mean, they're really weird. They've been winning all these games since losing everybody. And I know Portland has had, has kind of seen similar things. And you always wonder like when a player goes down, a team adjusts, the other teams coming in, they don't know how to game plan. Like, Oh, well now Murray's not there. He was a, such a big part of what they do. What do we do? And new guys emerge. Michael Porter obviously emerged, but I think that as time goes on, and especially as you get into a playoff series and teams start to say, okay, this is who the new version of this team is. Here are their weaknesses. And the playoffs are so much about, they're less about your peaks and more about what can't you do? And can a team force you to do that? And Denver, there's like a lot of things they can't do. And in the regular season, nobody's really forced them to do those things. But that's, that's why with Denver, predicting them is kind of silly to me because they, they are capable of beating. They still have some really good players, but they're just, I mean, they have their top three guards out. So point guard, shooting guard, backup shooting guard, and even their backup point guards only played about 40 minutes since he came back from injury. So there's just so many question marks around Denver that I, to feel, to say you feel confident in them or to say that you're skeptical of them, either one requires like a sort of leap of faith. So I, I think when we're getting into this matchup, and I, I, we're, we're probably going to look at this a lot of the same ways. It's going to be the backcourt of the Trailblazers yeah. uh, matching up against a, a very shorthanded Nuggets backcourt where in 2019, Denver didn't have a shortage of dudes to throw at Damian Lillard. Yeah. E even if it was, even if they did try to hide Jamal, they still had other guys that right. could throw at him. This matchup, that's who not... did they have? Do you remember? Gary... I know Gary Harris was one. Like Gary Harris has always guarded yeah. Damian Lillard very well, and, and even in that series, Lillard, I think he didn't struggle, but he wasn't his best. He, um... No, they they made CJ be the guy in that series, right. which I think is yeah. the the right way if you're an opponent is to make the other guys beat you. Uh, they they threw a mix of guys at him in that yeah. series, and there were there were long stretches where where Tory Craig was picking right. Him. Tory Craig, so yeah. th they did, I think, what a lot of teams have tried to do over the years, which is try to put size, length, and mobility on him. You mm. know, try 
bring Millsap over, uh, you know, obviously two years ago, he was moving a little bit better then, uh, but load up to him and put, put size and length on him. Now, who's going to pick up that primary duty of, of trying to put ball pressure on Damian Lillard? Well, that's what's funny is Denver has, you, you just talked about size and length. Denver has an, a, a pretty elite on-ball defender who is great at picking up 90 feet, um, almost uh, Fred Van Fleet-esque uh, in Facundo Campazzo. The problem is he has neither size nor length. I mean, he is a, a mini lad, five foot 10. I'm really impressed with him. He leads or, or he's among the leaders in the NBA in deflections and steals per 36 minutes. Like he really... and. He's a 29-year-old rookie. He had an incredible career, you know, over in Europe. He's um, been on some really surprising uh, Argentinian na national teams. So he's like an accomplished player for being 29. He plays really hard, and I think his defense is legit. The question is, in a series, how much does that 5'10"-ness really play a factor, especially when you have two guys in CJ and Dame who are – not necessarily explosive. I mean, Dames has obviously has some explosion, but they're just good at getting to their spots and elevating. And, you know, like Composo can stick to them and then they just get to their spot anyway and elevate. And it's like, well, it doesn't matter that you crowded their space and took this away. So I think Composo will get that assignment. You know, Austin Rivers, it's funny. These are all guys that Portland fans are like, who? Like what? Those are nuggets? Because uh, they just became nuggets. Yeah. Uh, Austin Rivers, you know, a surprisingly good defender i didn't know this about him yeah he, he he's he can body and then they have shaq harrison again another guy that, that play this is where Denver's at this is their <laughs> this is their backcourt all of a sudden but shaq harrison who's really long really elite defender the problem with him is he is he's like the andre roberson of guards he is he's honestly a really elite defender but man is he an anchor out to you on offense so i think those are the bodies they'll throw at him and i honestly have no idea if it'll be effective so that changes the one dynamic. The other dynamic, I think that, it, it, well, there's two more big dynamics that I think that we need to address, at least from the Portland side of things. There's two massive players uh, for Portland that are going to be a part of the series that weren't in 2019. The first one is Norman Powell. Yeah. The difference between Norman Powell and Mo Harkless, uh, I don't think that can be overstated enough because I, even though he doesn't have Mo's size defensively, I think you can say he's at least comparable defensively uh, even if he does get caught in some mismatches because he's six four having yeah. a seven foot wingspan allows you to do some things at six four that you don't typically get to do but offensively Portland has another guy who can drop a 30 spot and that yeah. trapping defense that the, the way you're trying to get the ball out of Damian Lillard's hands now it's not just in CJ McCollum's hands now it's in Norman Powell's hand a guy who I mean, he, he gets to the rim with a significantly higher volume than CJ McCollum ever has. He draws free throws. When you're looking at, at that from Denver's point of view, what do you think the, the initial adjustment is going to be uh, defensively when you're looking at, at how, how they're going to match up with, with a guy that, you know, that wasn't there two years ago that is significantly impacts how they play the game? I'm curious to see what Denver tries there because you've got the the Covington Powell sort of forward spots and you know they, Denver on the other hand has Aaron Gordon who I I think is an elite defender against like a great on ball scorer Norman Powell will be that obviously at times not maybe not primary but um, Aaron Gordon is, is I, I think is more than up for that challenge the problem is you kind of need Aaron Gordon to help out with some of the other guys so mm -hmm. I, I don't know the other guy you know Michael Porter people. As is the case with a lot of rookies, especially rookies coming off of injury or, or whatever, their reputation gets set. And I think his reputation as being this like really bad defender got set because he was a rookie who had not played basketball for three years and everyone saw he was terrible. And in the playoffs last year, he was obviously the target. I think he's significantly less of a target now. And 
he, let's be honest, he's 6'10 with a 40 inch vertical. Like he's a yeah. hyper athlete. There's so many guys that, you know, get him off balance, but still get their shot blocked or still can't get to the rim because of just how stinking long he is and, and athletic and bouncy. And so, you know, I think both of those guys probably present a, a decent challenge for him. Michael Porter actually moves his feet well on ball defensively. The areas he gets into trouble is really fighting over screens. He's just not very strong yet. Um, so he still has some weaknesses defensively, but I think both of those guys are sort of up for the challenge uh, of the four of the two forward spots. And I'm not sure if they're going to put Gordon on Powell, which I think you'd say, okay, you feel really good about that matchup or Michael Porter on Powell, which can really go either way. But I think Michael Porter will surprise some people. Yeah. And the same thing. I, I think even if you were going to call Michael Porter Jr. Dame-esque defensively, a guy that struggles, you know, navigating screens, like you, you alluded to, he's still six foot 10. He's still long. He's still incredibly explosive. You can make some really dumb decisions defensively. And yeah. just by being an elite athlete and having elite signs, you can compensate for a lot of those shortcomings. So it's one of the situations. I think he's leading the nuggets in shot blocks or in block shots. So which he, isn't that surprising. Yeah. And he, he's just a really, I mean, he's a great athlete. It's funny because I think that's the, one of the pieces that gets overlooked with him is he is, um, you know, I would say this is going to sound crazy. He might be a better athlete than a Kevin Durant. Like he, that's a guy he's op- often compared to. I don't think that's crazy at all. Ke- Kevin Durant's a little bit longer. I think they're like the same height, but Kevin Durant, longer wingspan, higher reach. Michael Porter though, he's just so such a quick jumper and such a high jumper that it really surprises a lot of, he blocks a lot of shots just off of guys thinking, Oh, I've got a jumper here. And it's like, Nope, he, he actually got up higher than you thought he was going to. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's a fair assessment. I don't think anybody's ever looked at Kevin Durant and been like, that's the most explosive guy on the floor. When Michael Porter Jr. is on the floor, I think you can make that argument really? more often than not. I, yeah. I mean, I, I got a chance to see him at, at Hoop Summit a couple of years ago, um, and it was one of those things where it looked like he was going three-quarter speed. And he was more explosive and, and yeah. more athletic and, and just more graceful. It, it's Scotty Pippen-esque, where he just kind of floats through guys. He's so smooth, yeah. And, yeah, and that's – he, and that's the thing is I think some people take it for granted is because he is so smooth. They're like, oh, that's Nick Batum was kind of the same way where you're like, oh, that's not a big deal. And then all next thing you know, he's jumping over a seven footer and packing it down. Yeah. You're like, well, where did that come from? But obviously some, so, got a bit more yeah. <laughs> in that so, regard. Like, I know, you know, we're a little bit older, but like, you know, Michael Jordan, I think one of the most underrated aspects of what makes him, in my opinion, the GOAT, or, you know, at least if you don't think the number two or whatever, was he had some of the best body control of anyone. Like yep. you, the NBA is full of guys with great body control, but Michael was a different level, just the way he was able to like really just go, his body went where he wanted it to go, like with no hesitation or it anything. It was never else. off balance or off, like, even if he was quote unquote off balance, it was under his control. Yeah. John Morant has a lot of this where it's yep. like he's running a hundred miles per hour and he just shifts left, right up there, you know, like it just goes different directions on the fly. And I think that's kind of like Michael Porter, obviously lesser than Michael Jordan or John Morant, but like, he just has this ability to sort of like, just his body just moves really smoothly, like changes direction, jumps, you know, floats, hangs in the air or doesn't, you know, whatever it is he needs his body to do. He kind of has that. So um, it's just an underrated, I think, aspect of, of what makes him a, a special scorer, but even defensively, you know, elevates the weak parts of his game is that just, he has such great body control. You know, I was going to, I was going to hit on Nerf, but we'll circle back to that. Cause I actually want to go to the flip side of this Michael Porter jr. Matchup. Cause I think that's the way, but probably going to swing the series. Uh, even before, probably. Portland was, yeah. 
legitimately, but even before this Portland was matched up with Denver three, four weeks ago, I was talking on TV post game. Uh, we, were, we were looking at how things were shaping up. And the thing that I kept saying is I think Michael Porter Jr. is the most is the player most primed to make a breakout run in the playoffs. We saw glimpses of it last year in the bubble. And I, it would not surprise me. I know we've had this, these, these national discussions. Is he more Clay Thompson or more Kevin Durant? we're talking about which hall of famer he is like, and it's not, nobody's really like laughing at it. Like it's yeah, no, I, I get it. He's shooting threes on volume that literally only, you know, the best of the best have matched up at, and he's still only scratching the surface of being able to take guys off the bounce. He's Giannis and Kevin Durant ask where it's yeah. one dribble from the three point line. Uh, this is a, a listener question. Um, from Christopher Mazio at Maz Northwest who guards Porter and why is it norm? The Blazers have two options. They have Norman Powell. They have uh, Robert Covington in the starting lineup. I wouldn't be surprised, even though Derek Jones Jr. has been mothballed for the last couple of weeks. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised that he get it. he gets an opportunity to, t- to take on Porter Jr. just because length, athleticism. But yeah. when you're looking at those starting lineups for Portland, Portland's going to play that starting lineup 35 minutes. Like that's that's how yeah. it's going to go. When you look at that matchup, whether it's Powell or Covington, is that going to be? The, the the again the, the swing point for this series is that going to be kind of the deciding factor night in night out i think it's less about who guards him to be honest i mean there probably will be an answer to that as the series goes on and portland will find that whether they start with the right answer or whether they discover it going going through the series they'll arrive at the right one but i think it's less about who guards him and more about how i think you know he did this last year in the bubble in the seeding round he had a 37 point night he had a 30 point night right after that i mean he was he was scoring and then you get to the playoffs and it's like yeah things are different when teams actually scout and they say okay we're going to take this one thing away and make them force them to do this and i think the number one thing that i wonder about with porter is what happens if teams are allowed to get physical and of course the playoffs you allow a little bit more physicality i think portland it will be important for them to sort of the lakers are the best at this First three minutes of the game, they just foul the hell out of everyone. And it's like, we're going to set the bar so high for what a foul is in this game that it's going to allow us to get physical for the the full 48 minutes. And I think Portland's going to have to do that with him because he's not quite strong enough yet to, to, to take that next step. That's like a a ceiling he has on his game. Mm -hmm. And I think if players can, you know, jam him in screens and hold and grab and do these different things, you know, it's going to make things tough on him. But at the same time, he is an X factor in the series because he has been absolutely historically efficient as a scorer uh, this season. I mean, you've seen the numbers. He just set the record for the highest three point percentage in a season in Denver Nuggets 55 year history. <laughs> and he did it on pretty good volume, six and a half threes per game. And I think he led the NBA in threes contested three point percentage. Like he's just because he's so tall. It helps to be so 16. Yeah. He's so like, there really is no contest, right? Especially if you're talking about Norm Powell, long as he, you know, as his reaches, Michael Porter's is just as long and he jumps higher and he's taller to begin with. So, um, so he's really good at that. So I could see him having a breakout Jamal Murray esque uh, playoffs where maybe in this round, he has a couple 40 point. Yeah. I don't know if he'll get to 50, but he have a couple 40 point games and okay. I think Denver wins, or I could also see him having the worst seven game run he's had, you know, of the last three months, because this is the playoffs and things are so different. And so much of the game plan is going to be about stopping him that I could see that being the case as well. So I'm really curious to see how Portland handles him. And by the way, one way to stop Michael Porter, 
run him off a million screens on the other end of the court. I, I suspect <laughs> that, that Portland's going to try to do yeah. this as well, to just physically wear him out, make him bump into bodies, bruise him up a little bit on that end and, and, and see what happens. Well, speaking of running in and bodies, it's time to get to your favorite player on the Portland Trailblazers, Yusuf Nurkic. <laughs> uh, the matchup that everybody's looking for, I think, from both markets for various reasons uh, is Nurkic v. Jokic. Um, it's not a secret that Jokic has kind of dominated the matchup the last couple times. Uh, even though he had a spectacular game in the last matchup and Nurk's box score was pretty bad. Um, I actually thought Nurk did a pretty damn good job of, of making Jokic work. Are you talking uh, about that game? The Nuggets were trying to lose. No, 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 okay. no, not, not that yeah, match. I no, sure. I, I, listen, I, I got my trolling in place. Okay. Come on now. Anybody who didn't know what I was doing there was, was, was kind of losing their mind. Hey, bookmark uh, nonetheless. Yeah. I listen. It's, it's out there for a reason. It's half the fun, but no, I'm talking about the last matchup in Denver uh, where Nurk and yo kind of went at it uh, defensively, at least uh, for, for Nurkic were, Jokic had to hit him with three, four, five different series of moves, and he finally got Nurk to foul him a couple times down the stretch. But for the most part, in isolation, one-on-one, no help, it looked like a matchup that you're content with having Jokic work that hard to score. Because I think in this series, there's two different ways this is going to go, and I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. Either Portland's going to play him straight up with Nurkic and pray to God that he stays out of foul trouble, which is a big ask. Or they're going to send too frequently, often, as, as much as humanly possible. I hope to God it's not number two. Because I've seen the numbers from when you double the seven-foot passing savant. It, I believe the, the Nuggets are shooting like 78% uh, off of hard doubles on Jokic. It's an obscene stat. Yeah. I was looking at the other day, and I was like, yeah, that's, that makes sense. Because there's nowhere on the floor where he's not going to see the double team coming unless you get him deep on a, on a, on a baseline block where you can run it from the inside and he's not looking over his shoulder. He's just going to see it coming. And with the, the, the size and the passing ability, he's going to find guys regularly and often. I think, especially with the, the addition of Aaron Gordon, when you're looking at this front court matchup, what do you think is the most important thing for both teams, for both Jokic and the Nuggets and Nurkic and the Blazers? Well, you know, the Blazers have success, obviously, in their pick and roll game. And on that end of the court, Denver, you know, just forcing Jokic. He loves to play up. He's been very good at it. But forcing a lot of those four-on-three situations behind the defense the other way, I think, is one way to really take advantage of Denver because Denver doesn't run the drop scheme like most people do and, and just leave Jokic to defend. If you can beat that initial two-on-ball, you know, up, up top, uh, you know, if you can beat that, then you have an advantage. And Nurkic is – a pretty good passer out of that short role. You know, he can make plays, he can make errors as well, but I trust him more than I trust most bigs, you know, sort of navigating that. And I think, so on that end of the court, you know, that that's where you sort of take advantage of what Denver can do and then force Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon to really make hard rotations. Denver's become better at this as they, when they lost Murray and Barton, they became a more defensive oriented team, you know, in their backcourt. So they have guys that are more capable of sort of scrambling in the backside and covering ground. Um, but anyway, I think that's, that's, that's how you try to have success against the Denver defense on the other end of the court though. It's funny. You mentioned, you hope they don't double because of the numbers, because here's the thing I really wonder about Denver in the playoffs, Michael Porter, you can't leave him. He's too good. He's, he's a great cutter. He's, he's great. Jokic requires to be like, he really has, in my opinion, figured out Nurkic to a way that I think he is primed that if you guard him one-on-one, he's going to score 40 points a night and he's going to make it efficient. But if you double him, you are vulnerable to Aaron Gordon cuts and Aaron Gordon three-pointers and Faku three-pointers and Austin Rivers three-pointers. 
But are you scared of those guys to beat you? Is Aaron Gordon going to make enough three-pointers in a series that you're going to like, wow, Aaron Gordon just torched us from three this series, or Faku Composite torched us from three? I don't think so. Denver lost their scoring. They lost their floor spacing. And to me, you let Jokic go one-on-one, he's going to feast. He's going to get efficient points, and he's still going to get passes because he gets passes even when you don't double. But if you send hard doubles and really clog up the paint, I have a feeling that you just count on Facundo Composo not making four, five, three pointers a game because he's never done that. And, and I think that's the ticket to winning. See, the, the reason I hesitate on throwing a, a double at Jokic is because the Blazers have struggled throwing doubles at anybody. Mm. When, when they throw a double, they're, they're doubling with CJ McCullough. They're yeah, you have to you have, to have size. Yeah, that's that is one key to it, having size to throw at the double. In, unless you're, you're bringing Covington, which now you're leaving who? You're right. leaving Gordon on a back cut or you're leading Michael Porter Jr. on the backside of the floor. And that's that's where you run into these issues because, yeah, sending Norman Powell, he's a good defender. He may get a good dig. You may get a, a, a ball poke loose here or there. But I think the risk there is probably not worth the reward because they're not doubling with size, which is why I think you might see some situations where you get a Derek Jones Jr. on the floor, or you get a Nasir Little, just or even an Anthony Simon, just so you get a little bit longer, you get a little bit bigger in some spots where, in those instances, maybe maybe they do go for it. Uh, with Denver so shorthanded, the bench situation becomes a little bit weird, right? When you're when you're looking at rotations, do you know how is Will gonna be good to go? We don't know. I mean, we haven't really had an update. We actually speak with Michael Malone here in about 45 minutes for the first time, um, you know, this week. I don't think there'll even be an update then, then but um, my, my suspicion is no, he won't be ready to go. And maybe he's a guy that comes back at the back half of this series, the same way that um, Gary Harris did last year against Utah. A lot of people watched Denver fall behind 3-1 to Utah while they were missing their back, both backcourt players, both Barton <laughs> and, and Gary Harris last year. As soon as Gary Harris came back, Denver didn't lose again. But, you know, um, so I don't know. Maybe he provides a boost halfway through, but he's missed so much time. You know how it is. When you have a X-factor player who's hot and cold and you bring them back without, you know, a month, six weeks off, and you bring them back, like, you're probably going to get the cold version of that hot and cold player more than yeah. you're going to get the hot version. So uh, Barton, I would say, will know more here in the coming days, but I, I suspect his impact, if at all, will be very limited. So from the Portland side of things, I'm looking at this, and this is where my fear lies. The Portland bench outside of Anthony Simons, that's that's their one. They're, they've kind of gone to an eight-man rotation. It's Simons, Mellow, Cantor. That's what it yeah. has been. Insert Derek Jones Jr., Sear Little, whoever is, you know, rotationally makes Derek sense. Derek Jones that. Jr., I think, should play in the series, personally. I, I, I'm in the same mind just because of, of this particular issue. If yeah. you don't play him, and Jokic is going to play 36 – He's going to play heavy. There's, he might play more than 36. That's what I'm saying. Like the baseline is at least, right? Which means, and Nurk really doesn't go beyond 30. That's just we, that's just the history of him. He's just too damn big. That's just not what he does. The minutes where Jokic is on the floor against Mello and Cantor, when either Porter Jr. or Gordon is probably going to be out there, I would assume that Mike Malone is looking at those rotations and going, if I can keep two of those three guys out here, while those guys are on the floor, we can make hay in these situations. Yeah. That's that to me is outside of the starters. That's the thing that scares me the most. And that's where I look at it and go, even though Denver is wildly shorthanded, that you guys still have a enough of front court depth to mm. impact that back yeah. end of the rotation for Portland. What's, what, what's your take on that? 
I think it's funny because Portland's second unit, their three guys you just mentioned are all offensive players who are not great defensively. And Denver has a second unit that is pretty good defensively, but horrible on offense. So it's kind of like a, a weird style fight. Now, I don't know if the pieces fit perfectly. And that's part of what makes it even more interesting is you talk about Denver's second unit. Well, that's uh, Paul Millsap, who's really, it's funny. He, Paul Millsap is in the Andre Iguodala era right now, where it's like, he's not looked good for three quarters of the season, but he's looked really good the last 15 games or so. It's like, okay. Weird how that works out. Yeah, huh? yeah. It took a lot of games off early and now it's like, okay, you've clearly saved himself for the playoffs. So let's see how he looks now. Um, you got your Michael Green, another guy who, you know, very good defender can knock down a three, but other than that, he's not creating anything on offense. Shaq Harrison, a zero on offense. I mean, honestly, he might hit two three pointers in this entire series. And if he, I would set the line at one and a half. Um, and, and that's real. And then you got Monte Morris who can run the show, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe that creates something. I'm curious if JaVale McGee plays, you, you mentioned Cantor, you know, Cantor beasts against power forwards who are trying to play center. So I'm, yeah. I wonder if they go to JaVale McGee there. So it's just it's just an interesting style fight. I think both teams have a reason to feel like probably more pessimistic than optimistic about their benches, but they are also as an avenue for both of them to succeed. And it's just which which one is going to get which which bench is going to get succeed, or maybe neither does. I, I mean, it's possible. <laughs> I also think that's that, the most likely scenario, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And it just comes down to those starter minutes and the bench units are kind of a, a wash. But all right. So you're looking at the let's look at, take a look at the the first four games of this series. What are three questions you want answered early on in this series? Mm, questions I want to answer well, for Denver side is just what's Will Parton's availability if he can go. And by the way, PJ Dozier as well. I think PJ Dozier less likely to come back, but PJ Dozier would yeah. be incredibly valuable in this series because he again more great, size, more size and a great defender. I mean, he's yeah. more akin to a Tory Craig type defender where yeah. he has the length on both CJ and Dame, but he's also just a great. He's a very aware defender. So if he comes back, I don't suspect he will, but if he comes back, you know, that would be, you know, a huge boost. So that's number one, you know, can Michael Porter sort of rise to the occasion breakout young player, but hasn't really proven it so far. Is he a good player? Is he a bad player? Is he a great player? All of those are on the table. And I think the great version really tilts things in Denver's favor. Um, you know, I'm so optimistic about Jokic. I mean, to me, he's clearly the you MVP. Know. Yeah, well, you know, I've been for a long time. But <laughs> for anybody, I need to clarify this. Adam on day one was the original Jokic guy. On Summer League. That's yes, no, that's what I mean. Like, And this is not a uh, revisionist history. He was glowing about Jokic day one. He is the flag, the earliest flag planter <laughs> I have ever seen. Uh, on Jokic. Hell, we had Denver guys over to the house and you were talking to him about him then. So. It's funny It's funny because I did a video last summer that was about Jokic's summer league compared to now. And you can find it on YouTube if you like type Jokic summer league, you'll see the video. <laughs> but I'm telling you, if you go back and watch it, he does all the same stuff he's doing now. It's like, it blows my mind that it wasn't a big deal. I think it's because he was a no name and he was a little pudgy or whatever, but you go back, he's throwing behind the back passes and no look and running point and shooting threes. And you're like, why, why? And it's funny. If you go back and look at those old uh, summer league, 2015 summer league reviews, it's like Mike Mascala, is he the steal of the trap? <laughs> and it's just funny when you watch a guy that was actually running point at that point, but um, yeah. So Jokic, I'm just curious to see. I mean, he's had, I think nothing but good series so far in his playoff career, but I, this one, I think 
if it's his best playoff series he's ever had, I think Denver wins. If it's anything short of that, it could st- he could still be a 28. I think he's averaging like 27, 13, and 9 in playoffs over his career. But if he can up those scoring numbers to 30, 31, 32, then I feel better about Denver. You know, then I really think Denver has a great chance. If he's just merely great, then, you know, maybe not. So I'm going to get you out of here on this one. I know you don't like doing it, but what is your early prediction? Before watching all the tape, I, yeah, I know it's I know it's not yeah. great. I'm, I'm I'm doing the same thing. So it's funny because I I'm gonna like I feel like it's a 50-50 series, but I also feel like there's a great chance that one team kind of runs away with this. Um, so I wouldn't, and I'm not sure which team that is. That, yeah, that's what's funny is this could be a five game series either direction, and I'd be like, yeah, it was a 50-50 series. Um, I just you know I still feel better about Denver for it in part because just. I, you know, I think Jokic is really good. And, and I think that he has become this season, the caliber player where it doesn't matter or it matters less the other pieces involved. And I could be wrong on that, but I feel like this could be one of those series where it's like Jokic is putting up this year, I think 27, 26, you know, 11 and, and eight. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those are pacing numbers. And I just wonder if you get into the series and it's like, that's right. That's what it's like to have, the Tim Duncan or, the you know, dude. the, the dude that's like, and, and look, Damian Lillard has been this guy also for a lot of his career, single-handedly ending series, um, you know, and he, he's also capable of doing it, but I, I feel like Jokic has become a player at a whole other, other tier from that. Um, and so we'll see. Being seven foot tall way. has its advantages. I would call the series 53 47 right now for Denver, but um I would not at all be surprised. Denver's just so limited that if a team can exploit those limitations, then it swings the other way so hard. So from our side of things, I'm, I've looked at this and I, I, I keep looking at this one. I don't know. The one thing that, that, that you talk about Denver, not being able to play so many different styles. I yeah. look at Denver and I, I see them being able to play still more styles than Portland. Portland plays pick and roll yeah. basketball. They play drop coverage. Their yeah. bench unit is terrible defensively uh very exploitable they don't have a lot of length and denver even if they 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 don't have as many ways that they can play as they did when they were healthy they still have numerous amount of 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 avenues to exploit just because of their size up and down the lineup and that alone allows them to be incredibly creative with how they attack things on both sides of the ball i i right now i have denver favored i i Mm. i probably float somewhere between 33 and 40 percent that Portland has a chance. I, I, I call oh, it wow. That's really low. When we do these numbers, like I, I always remember um, looking at the five thirty eights like projections and like mm-hmm. the 2017 warriors that couldn't lose were like only 70%. So, so like when we do, when you say 30%, I'm thinking, man, these teams are way closer than that, <laughs> than, than the golden state warriors were to any other team. Yeah. That, that, that's the thing is like, For me, when I look at this Portland team, as good as they have played over the last 12 games, they still haven't beat anybody of consequence when it mattered. That was when they they were trying. And that's that's the thing. If you want to go glass half full, they have beat the crap out of teams over the past month who were trying but were missing dudes. Right. The only the only other example you can point to where they didn't was a one point loss to Phoenix. And yeah. Damian Lillard was superhuman in that. So I think that's a little bit of a scare 
is that Dame could go 16 of 23, have 41 points, go 9 of 10 in the fourth quarter, and you still lose by one to a team that's shorthanded their rim protector. What's, what's interesting about what you're saying, you know, I think coaching is generally a bit overrated in, in the way people talk Weird. about it. Weird. I think it's a little overrated, just like, you know, like it makes a, it does make an impact. But the one area, I think Michael Malone's a very good playoff coach. I think he's a very good, like, where are the pressure points? How do we exploit them and, and come up with it? And being that both teams have those, you know, I, I kind of give a slight edge, I think, in the series to Michael Malone and to Denver's ability to scheme. The problem is, like I said, Denver's pressure points, I don't think they have an answer for him. I mean, one of the questions that I have, you talk about, you know, Nurkic can guard the post. Jokic can score in the post, but okay, that's, he can take 10% off Jokic in the post, maybe. Um, Jokic can pick and pop and make the three, but can you run pick and roll? Denver doesn't really have a guy you have to guard in the pick and roll right now. I mean, Compazzo can't shoot, off the, especially off the dribble. Mm-hmm. Um, Shaq Harrison won't shoot, he's that bad. And then you have Austin Rivers, so it's like like, do you get a little bit of a pass on one of the three ways Denver kills you with Jokic? And I think you kind of do. And if you can kind of schematically load up on some things and just take away the pick and roll game, that's a lot in today's NBA. If you can take away one, you know, you can take away the pick and roll. So I'm curious to see how good of a job Stotts does. It's funny because I know that'll be a talking point in Portland. No, very- no, no, no. He's, he's firmly secure in his position here in Portland. Let's, <laughs> Let's put it this way. Spolstra, uh, Nick Nurse um even golden state with you know ron adams you know Mm -hmm. i I think there's teams that would come up with a scheme that's like force denver to do this thing and they're going to look way worse than they do i'm curious to see if portland gets there all right well thank you adam i know we got to get you out of here because you got to get get going on your media availability as well thank you for joining us man i do appreciate you go ahead and plug everything you're doing everywhere you're at and what you got coming up we just have our live post game shows over on our YouTube channel for DNVR. It's probably the only thing people in Portland might be interested in. Now, if you come on over, guys, don't troll. Don't troll. Don't troll. <laughs> it's all the time. Be, yeah, be cool. And if Nuggets are go over anywhere there to troll, tell them to f off. You know that's lame as well. But yeah, uh, we talk. We talk about the game after every game. We have our bar here in Denver, so <clears throat> we go live from our bar uh, after every post game. You can check those out. Uh, folks, you can follow Adam on Twitter at Adam underscore Mares. I'm sure he's going to be dutifully following the Twitters. He won't. He doesn't. <laughs> trust me. Uh, thanks again, man. Uh, I'd say good luck, but I'd be lying through my teeth. I want to see you guys crash <laughs> so and burn. True. <laughs> so true, man. I'm a, I'm, I, I won't lie to you, Dad. I'm rooting for a Ford game. Just smack down. <laughs> it's, it's funny because it, you could feel it ratchet up. Even in a game that Denver didn't care about, the, the difference in the mentality on Twitter a week ago to what it was like two days before that was it just ratcheted up immediately. I just, I just cast it out just a little bit of chum in the water. And I, it, yeah, oh, of course, yeah, hit. people feasting. I'm, I'm curious to see who the guy is this because two years ago it was Jokic, and I saw even writers were like, I thought Jokic was a good guy. I can't believe he would do that. And I was just like, you guys are going <laughs> to get out of here. But the guy I think this year, it's going to be Faku. I'm telling you, it's going to oh, be halftime. I, I can tell you right now it is because he's handsy as hell. Handsy, he's physical. Yeah. He's the type. I mean, you can't be in the NBA at 5'10 unless you eat and, glass and, for breakfast. Like, yeah. you, you have to be the toughest, meanest dude in the world. And he's, like, I think, a nice guy, but he plays basketball like a maniac. And it's going to be about midway through the second quarter, game one, Portland's he's going to be like, that's our like guy. Dame's that's knees. Our guy. That's what's going to happen. It'll be a loose ball, and he'll, like, clip Dame's knee from behind or something <laughs> like that. And there, there will be, a you know, a hit out on him, you know, by the time he, he plays Rodman-esque. Like, he's, he'll dive after balls out of bounds he has no chance at. Yeah. Like, he just – he doesn't turn off. So, Portland, I'm telling you right now, Composo, that's your guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. 
Again, follow Adam on Twitter at Adam underscore Mares. Adam, thank you for hopping on, man. I appreciate you. I'll catch up with you probably mid midway through the uh, series and see where things sit. Sounds good, buddy. Have a good one. I like them on my tiptoes, baby. You think a little too small. I got big goals, baby. Hey, where the money? Yeah, look, I just need the info. Pronto, I go in.